Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. For some of our episodes, we record our guests remotely. But we got to have today's guest come aboard the Floating Podcast Studio with us. So let's dive into today's episode. Does your pet make you a happier person? Do you thoroughly enjoy watching videos of pets on social media? Have you struggled with serious grief over the loss of a pet? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. Animals can help our mental health in some surprising ways. One of my friends is in alcohol addiction recovery. He was fortunate to get some help from Dr. John Umhau who's one of the best addiction medicine specialists in the country. Dr. Umhau told him about the science behind several different things that could help him stop drinking. Everything from group therapy to prescriptions that stop cravings. But one of the things he also said was, get a dog. As a therapist, I thought that was brilliant advice. Many of my therapy clients have said that their pets literally save their lives. When they had a pet that they loved, they knew that they were going to have to be home more often or that they'd have to take their dog for walks or get up early to take care of their pets. And they said it helped with everything from depression to addiction. So today I'm talking to Dr. Doug Mater, a veterinarian with a whole long list of accolades. He's written tons of textbooks on things like reptile surgery, but now he's also written a book for us non-veterinarians. It's called The Vet at Noah's Ark, and it's filled with amazing stories about how he's treated everything from household pets to zoo animals, as well as wild animals. In fact, these days he lives in the Florida Keys and spends his time working at our local turtle hospital. He also takes care of our key deer, which look kind of like regular deer, but they're a lot smaller, but they're endangered. And he also takes care of the alligators and crocodiles in the Everglades. One of the things he writes about in his book is the bond between humans and animals and how much animals can help us with our mental health. Whether you have a pet already or you're just thinking about getting one, stay tuned. Some of the things Dr. Mater talks about are how to find the best pet for you, the science behind how our pets improve our mental health, and how to deal with the grief associated with the loss of a pet. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Dr. Mater's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Dr. Doug Mater on how animals can help you grow mentally stronger. Dr. Doug Mater, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Amy, thank you so much for having me here. It's really quite an honor and a pleasure. So I heard about you long before I met you. And I don't know that you know this story. So I lived in Maine and I had a Himalayan cat that you later met, but he had some eye issues. And this cat was really special to me. My first husband actually had found this cat that needed to be rehomed. And it was a flame point Himalayan. And I thought, oh, how cool, because I used to have a flame point Himalayan. And so we adopted this cat. He's about three. And it was shortly after my mother had passed away. 
And then uh, not long after we got this cat, my husband passed away. And this cat and I, I felt like went through hell and back together. And over all of these years, uh, tumultuous times and some of the darkest times in my life, I had this cat when I felt like days where I felt like I didn't have much else. But then I had decided that I was going to to move to the Florida Keys. And I remember talking to my cat. He had an eye specialist in Maine. And I said, like, what am I going to do when I move down to these islands? How am I going to find a, a doctor? And he said, he said that Marathon, Florida is one of the best places you could go. He said, the person who wrote my college textbook is the vet <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> and I thought, really? This is amazing. So came down here. You actually met my Himalayan cat over the years. And, uh, and then out of the blue, I get an email from your publicist that says you wrote a book. She had no idea that I had met you or anything. She sends me a copy of your book. I had no idea of your background until I read your book, which is amazing. It's called The Vet at Noah's Ark. I highly recommend all of our listeners pick up a copy. But it was amazing to hear your background story and to know you see a lot more pets than just the dogs and cats that (laughs) came into the clinic. I do. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I remember when you first came in with Jackson, he was a great cat. I had a a seal point Himalayan, uh, wonderful cats. I just, I love them to death. And so, um, it's a good thing that he was there with you during your, those dark times. Um, yeah, I, I have an unusual background. I'm triple boarded. I'm boarded in dog and cat practice. I'm boarded in zoo animal medicine practice. And I also have a subspecialty board in reptile and amphibians. So I have kind of a whole variety of critters that I take care of. In your past books, I've looked at the titles are like about how to perform surgery on lizards, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I've, I've done a lot of writing, but it's all been academic. So I've got three textbooks out there you know, countless uh, scientific articles, peer-reviewed journal articles, magazine articles, newspaper columns. And I've always had this passion to be a writer for the general audience. And, uh, you know, I read All Creatures Great and Small by James Herriot. I think everybody knows who that is because he's got the series on PBS now. And I just fell in love with veterinary medicine. I fell in love with his storytelling ability. And I figured someday I'm going to be a horse doctor and I'm going to maybe write a book just like James Herriot when I grow up. So that's kind of how it all started. And then you started out working with horses, right? But I life did. took a strange yeah, twist. Yeah, I did. Um, my older sister uh, had me come out to the her stable. She had horses. And my father, Uncle Sam, took my father away to Vietnam. And to keep her horse at the stable, the, the man of the family um, had to come out and do a workday once a month and help maintain the stable. Well, he was in Vietnam fighting. So I, by default, had to go out there and do all this work. And I didn't really care about horses at the time. But when I went out to the stable, I said, you know, there's a lot of really cute girls here. (laughs) And I was in high school. So, of course, you know, hormones kind of play a role there. And then I realized that all the cute girls weren't looking at me. They were looking at the village blacksmith. And I go, hmm. So, okay, is this young guy is all sinewy and muscular and sweating and all the girls would hang around and bring him iced teas and sodas and stuff. And I go, you know, I can do that. So I, when I was 15, I moved away. I went to blacksmithing college, got my farrier certificate, moved back home, started a blacksmithing business. And then the girls started to notice me. That was pretty darn cool. And uh, I started working with a local veterinarian, an equine veterinarian. And uh, he'd have these horses that were lame. And he'd ask me to make a special shoe for him. And so I was able to help him. And we could take some of these horses that were basically destined for the glue factory. And I'd put a special shoe on them and working with the vet, we get these horses back up and doing just normal. And this is really cool. You know, I love medicine. I love horses. And, and, you know, I, I can be an equine doctor. And so that was my plan. 
So yes, I started out in equine medicine. That was my whole goal. I told myself two things, Amy. I said, number one, you're never going to live in a big city because I, I was a ranch boy and a country boy. And said, number two, you're never going to work on small animals. So what happens? Uh, an underage drunken driver that was drag racing, lost control of his car, ran me over. Uh, a year and 11 surgeries later, and I was still recovering, I realized I don't have the physical strength to work with horses anymore or the mental strength. I mean, you've, you've got, you've heard of horse sense. I'm sure you've heard that term. Yeah. And that's real. You know, it's like the horse whisperer. I mean, horses can tell if you have horse sense and they can tell if you don't. And I lost it. I just, after all my physical injuries, I lost the mental ability to work with them anymore. So then I kind of made the switch to the, the exotics and small animals. And that's kind of how I got to where I am. And tell us a little bit about your, the clinic that you had in LA. Yeah, I, I had done a residency in primate and zoo animal medicine, and um, I got offered a ton of jobs in research, but I, and research is important and that's a whole nother subject, but I didn't want to do research. I wanted to work in clinical practice. And so one of my good friends uh, had been in veterinary medicine for a couple of years. We decided we'd open up our own practice. So we started looking for places to buy and we both liked the coast. Um, so we started looking from San Diego to Santa Barbara and we couldn't afford anything that was out there. And we finally found this, literally this, this roach hotel in the armpit of Los Angeles that we could afford. And in the ad, it said coastal community. Well, we do a lot of exotic pets. We thought that'd be really good. And when we got there, it was just a nightmare, but you can't be too choosy when you don't have any money. So you know, some of the best restaurants are in the worst parts of towns. We figured, let's give it a go. So we did. So we bought this old place and we rebuilt it and built it up and turned out to be a very successful practice in a really poor part of town. And what do you find about human nature and, and pets? Like, I know I'm a therapist. A lot of people will say, like, can you write me this letter? My apartment building doesn't allow dogs, but I know it's good for me to have a dog. And the, the link between mental health and pet ownership, I think we underestimate it sometimes as a society about how powerful it can be. Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The human-animal bond is just, to me, magic and powerful and wonderful. Um, it's, it's that uh, silver bullet that solves a lot of issues, especially with mental health. And the other thing about it is that it kind of crosses boundaries. It doesn't matter what culture you're from, what ethnicity you are, your religion, any of your, your personal preferences, anything, that human-animal bond is strong and it just crosses over all the barriers. And our practice was in a really unique part of town. I mean, literally on one side of our practice, we had at the time, the governor of California was one of our clients. So he came from one direction and in the other direction, about an equal distance, there were people that are so poor, they could barely afford shoes for their kids. And they'd all come into our practice and sit in the reception area with their pets and love their pets equally, right. you know, regardless of where they're from or how much money they had, that love for the animals. And then what the animals gave back to them. It was just immeasurable. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think so often we think that a dog is just a dog or people will even say that when the dog passes away. Like, well, it was just a dog. Oh, I hate right? that. That's like saying, oh, I'm sorry, your kid died. But don't worry, you can have right. another one. You can't do that. Right. And I think the we underestimate the grief process when it comes to losing a pet too because there's not there's not like a funeral like there would be for humans or other people don't always understand. And they say those things like, but you could get, you could get another one someday. Yeah. And I think people are sometimes surprised by it too. Like, gee, I spent all this time with my dog or my cat and now my house feels so empty and they feel almost embarrassed or they feel bad. I would have people come into therapy and say like, 
you know, I know that this was just a dog, but he was really my best friend. No, I mean, oh gosh, I mean, the emotions that you're, you're bringing up, I, I know you lost your pet and, and, you know, I'm 66 years old. I'm probably on my third or fourth generation of dogs now. And I'm sure you read all the studies and heard them all. I mean, anywhere, depending on what you read, some people say up to 90% of the people consider pets as part of the family. And like 30 to 40% of the people, there was a study done by the American Veterinary Medical Association, 30 to 40% of the people consider pets as child surrogates. So yeah, they're huge. And you, you can't just replace it, you know? And okay, so a pet dies, oh, let's get a new one. It, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you have an emotional investment in that animal and they, you as well, you know? Um, think of the, a classic example is I have two dogs. One of my dogs is super dependent. And if I go away on a, a trip, a lecture trip or a travel trip or something like that, sometimes my dog won't eat because I'm yeah. Um, Fortunately, I've had the same house sitter now for about three years. And so now when I leave, she spoils him rotten. So he's cool with it. But if I swapped him out with another house sitter, he wouldn't eat because they're so dependent on me. Um, so it goes both ways. And <laughs> when I am on my trips, my house sitter is great because she texts me pictures of the pets. You know, I need that. Uh, I, you know, if I'm having a rough trip or a difficult trip or I'm missing flights and, you know, hotels are canceled and things like that, you know what it's like to travel nowadays. And she'll text me a picture of my pet and oh my God, forget about everything else. There's my dog looking up at the camera. There's my cat, you know, there's my bird. And it's just like, okay, that's what I needed. That's exactly the pill that took care of all the issues. And you know, in speaking of your dog, when you said he doesn't eat, if you're gone, it seems to be kind of recent that we even acknowledge that pets have emotions, right? <laughs> Isn't that yeah. funny? I mean, you, you listen to CNN or something and there'll be, oh, breaking news report, PhDs just to, uh, determine that pets show emotions like really you need to do a phd to tell me that right. ask any pet owner and they'll tell you if their pets show emotions you know pets are happy pets are sad pets get get offended pets can have their feelings hurt and you don't have to have a phd to know that right spend any amount of time with a pet and and you can tell yeah. pretty quickly they're excited when you get home they're sad when you leave they're anxious all mm -hmm. of those emotions right absolutely i mean even little things like changing your cat's food without talking to him first, you know? They look at you like, I can't believe you did right. that. Yeah, this is not what I normally eat. Right. This is the first time in my life when I haven't had a pet. Up until two years ago, I had Jackson, a 19-year-old Himalayan cat, and Fiona, a 17-year-old English Springer Spaniel. Both of them lived on the sailboat and adjusted pretty well to life on the water. I miss them, and I look forward to getting another pet when the time is right. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of the family, and you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency, LIM.
Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. So, when we do lose a pet, let's talk about grief for a minute. Uh, do you have any thoughts? You must have seen so many people who have lost their beloved pets over all of these years. How do you how do you work through that? I know when I lost my cat, I he was 19. I had him for probably 16 years, but it was a huge hole in my heart to figure out now how do I get through the day without the cat sitting on my lap if I work from home and all of these changes. But what are your thoughts on how we grieve pets? Oh, you know, I mean, people go through the same five stages of grief that they with pet loss as they do with human loss. And you as a therapist understand that. I understand that. A lot of pet owners will understand that. But people that aren't pet owners certainly yeah. don't. And they think when somebody loses a pet that they're just being stupid. Right. And they can't understand why they need to take a day off work to have a private, you know, private grief day or bereavement day. Um, it's, I think, where it really is hard, I think sometimes when you lose a pet acutely. For instance, uh, let's say the kitty cat runs out in the street, gets hit by a car. Boy, you, you can't prepare for that, Okay. When you have a pet that has a chronic disease, like let's say something, God forbid, cancer or something like that, you can somewhat prepare yep. for it because you know that day is going to come. And I think that's where having a support system, you know, family members, friends, uh, the veterinary staff, um, therapists um, can help you get ready for it. Nothing will ever prepare you when this actually happens. And the worst part is not when the pet passes away, perhaps in your arms at the vet office or something like that. It's when you go home and like you said, they're not right. there. And you wake up the next morning and the house is empty. And you expect to hear the dog running down the stairs or the kitty cat meowing for breakfast. And it's like, wait a minute, the house is quiet. Yeah. And man, that hurts. You know, that's really hard. And all I can say is, you know, I talk to my young doctors and my students about this all the time. Sadly, whether it's pet loss, human loss, or just something in life that's not right, you're going to have a bad day at some point. It's going to happen. Yep. Count on it. And the way we handle that is by being prepared. And it's like living in the Keys. You know, we're going to have a hurricane someday. Right. So how do we handle that? Um, we be prepared. It's not going to make the hurricane any less painful, but it'll help you deal with it. And so if you know that you have a pet that's ailing, I think having a good support structure around you will really help you get through it. Again, it doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't replace the loss, but having that support structure around you does help you get through it. And it's also nice to know that if you have that support structure around you, that you can be there for those people that are supporting you. Cause someday you may need to be, you may need to, to be their support. And it kind of goes both ways. And that's why friends are so important. Yeah, I think so too. And having people that understand, cause if you have a 
a parent, a cousin, people that are just going to say to you, like, it's just a dog, then it's really rough. But when you know some other dog owners, you know, other people that have been there and been through it, then you can say, yeah, and maybe they send you flowers or they uh, acknowledge it or you feel like you can take a day off from work because that's a huge one. A lot of people can't call in and say, I'm not coming in today because my pet died. So they might call in sick uh, rather than actually acknowledge what happened. Right. You made a comment about people feeling embarrassed and they shouldn't. You know, it's a normal emotion and it's a powerful emotion and it rips you apart on the inside. So you should never, ever have to feel embarrassed about having love for an animal. So we've been talking a lot about dogs and cats, but people have a lot of different kinds of pets and you've worked with some really interesting ones. Like what's the strangest pet or most interesting one you've ever seen anybody have? I get get asked Uh that quite a bit. And there's one pet that stands out head and shoulders above the rest. Many years ago, I got called out on a house call and a woman called. She was all upset because her Congo fire eel wasn't eating. And I thought, I've learned one thing, Amy. I said, people say things on the phone and sometimes you're like, what are they talking about? They're crazy. And then you realize, no, they're not crazy. (laughs) You know, it really is true. Um, And so she had called because her Congo fire eel wasn't eating. And so I took my students and we went to her house and she had a pet Congo fire eel. And this is an eel. Everybody knows what an eel looks like. This was a probably about three feet long, maybe about as big as around as your wrist, uh, kind of a dark brown with reddish tiger stripes, absolutely gorgeous animal. And she found it in a pet store um, years and years ago. And I think her grandson bought it. And then her grandson went off to college and left it with her. So she kept it in her bathtub and she'd had it for 16 years. Oh my. And so for 16 years, this thing, she didn't use the bathtub. It was the fire eels bathtub. And she would feed it in the bathtub. She would clean it, drain the water, do water changes. She put lights in there and plants. And she just, she almost made it like a little vivarium. And you think about it, you know, you don't pick up your fire eel and cuddle it up in your lap and watch TV or eat popcorn. But that was part of her life for 16 years. She went in there, she talked to it, it listened to her, she fed it, she loved it. Um, And then when it got sick, you know, it broke her heart. And unfortunately it had, it was going into heart failure. So the big question is, what can you do for it? Well, it's not like anybody has a lot of experience treating heart failure in Congo, Congo fire. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's sad. I think back on it and we're laughing, joking, but it's, it was a very serious situation. Anytime somebody has a pet and they have to leave it at the hospital, what's the one thing you worry about? You're never going to exactly. see it again, right? It's not going to come yes. home. And that's that's a legitimate feeling. And so a lot of times people say, well, I can't leave him right. here. Okay, well, you know, I, I need to take him to the hospital so that I can give him proper medications and watch him. We have somebody there all night long. If he has a crisis, we can start him on heart meds with an epinephrine or oxygen or whatever the case may be. You know, well, if I keep him here, I don't have any of that stuff. So, okay, I'll send him with you to the hospital. Sadly, we took the fire eel to the hospital and, and it passed away. The heart, it was in heart failure. Yeah. And there's not much anybody could have done about that. And she was devastated, absolutely devastated. Um, so that that definitely, hands down, is one of the, the, the weirdest animals that I've ever worked with. But it just goes to show you, I talked about that human-animal bond. It doesn't have to be a dog or a cat or a canary. Right, I right. mean, she, 16 years, she cared and loved for that animal. And when it was gone, think about it. She came home, there's her bathtub empty, and the fire eel wasn't in it anymore. right. Imagine the depression she went through. And now how do you tell people about that? You know, I can't come to work today because my eel died. Right. If people think you're crazy and they're not, that's a legitimate pain. You know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And I know 
in so many different ways, pets can help our mental health. Like sometimes somebody with depression will get a dog and not only does the dog give them a boost because they now have somebody to talk to at home, maybe they're not so lonely, but they have to walk the dog. And we know getting exercise can be a wonderful way to relieve a lot of the symptoms of depression. But what are some ways you've seen people's mental health improve from the pets that they have? Well, I think it's, it's natural biology for people to have that need to be loved and to love. And as soon as you get a pet, any kind of pet, I don't care if it's a dog, a cat, a canary, a fire eel, a, a hermit crab, there's an immediate connection there. Um, tons and tons of studies, and this isn't just conjecture. I mean, there are tons of studies that show increased levels of dopamine, serotonin, um, oxytocin, and these are all well-being hormones. I won't go into the physiology of them, but you know what they are. And they make you feel good. Um, Having a pet, and there have been plenty of studies that show it decrease your cortisol levels. And cortisol is the hormone that causes stress. So if you can decrease the cortisol levels, you decrease your stress levels, you will naturally, you're going to feel better. Um, And then you made a a comment about exercise. And there was a study, I think it was Mayo Clinic, don't quote me on that. And they showed that dog owners on average um, exercise or get outside 22 minutes more per day than a non-dog owner. And that means if you're getting outside in the sunshine, it decreases your depression, being stuck indoors. It exposes you potentially to other people. Um, It gets your dog out. When you're walking your dog, people see the dog. People come up. It's a conversation starter. It's a way to meet people. It definitely enhances your well-being in your personal life. Yeah, I find a lot of people will say just that. Like, I'm kind of uncomfortable talking to people. But when I'm walking this cute dog around the neighborhood— a really easy way to strike up conversations and then they feel a little less alone or they make friends with other pet owners and they have play dates for their pets, right? Yeah, that brings up a, a funny story from years ago. I, I had a young young male doctor working for me. He was kind of a big macho dude, had tattoos everywhere, you know, and, um, you know, typical mid-20s, testosterone-driven, very, very bright. And then he decided he wanted to get a dog. So we've, you know, we're all thinking, what's he going to get a Doberman pincher or Rottweiler or Pitbull? He comes in with this little Frenchie. And we're all going, the last dog in the world we expected him to get was a little Frenchie because it just didn't fit his persona. And we all said, well, why'd you get this? And he goes, are you kidding me? This is a chick magnet. I go, what? Because <laughs> we lived near the beach. And so he'd take his little dog and he'd walk down the beach. And he said, every woman, every lady would just stop and talk to him. And then he'd get to meet them all because the dog was, was his, uh, you know, his segue, his stepping stone. I believe that. And I think, again, what an easy way to strike up conversations with yeah. people when you yeah. have this conversation piece that's with you. What's your take on all of this emotional support stuff about pets. I know the pendulum has swung in one direction and we decided, all right, maybe we went too far because people were taking their emotional support pig on an airplane or something like that. So then they say, all right, let's scale back a little. But what's your take on emotional support pets? Well, the research shows that the two animals that legitimately offer the most emotional support, dogs, it's pretty obvious. And then believe it or not, horses, and in particular, many horses are considered to be a legitimate emotional support animal. So dogs and mini horses are the two right now that kind of stand above. Um, and yes, over the years, people have taken advantage of it, which it, it saddens me because emotional support animals play a huge role. I mean, you, you can take a person who, let's say they have anxiety around people, or let's say they're afraid to fly or, or whatever the case may be. If you put an emotional support dog, pair an emotional support dog with that person, you can get them out of that shell and help them get them through a very difficult time. And that's legitimate. Sadly, a lot of people were going on Amazon and just buying the emotional support um, hoodies or the little vests that the dogs would wear because you don't need to have a letter to buy one right. of those. 
And then once they put them on the dog and they go to the airport, it's illegal for the airport people to say, let me see the letter. Because if they have the, the vest on, they have to let them on the plane. Well, people were bringing peacocks, people were bringing pigs, things like that. And you know, it, it takes advantage of a good thing and it ruins it for everybody else that really need it. So I think it's an extremely important, valuable tool when it's used properly. I think it's a shame when people take advantage of it and ruin it for everybody else. Funny you mentioned the horse. So I used to work at a facility where somebody brought in their miniature emotional support horse. Well, of course, the reception staff was like, you can't bring a horse in this building. And they were like, nope, you can look up the law and it says I can bring my horse into the building. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you could because the mini horses apparently do yeah. have some. Yeah. No, I, I don't think they're allowed on an airplane. I think that one's been banned. But um, yeah, I mean, technically, I don't remember the name of the act that allows it, but there is a there is a national a legislature that allows these emotional sport animals on any property. And I find for anxiety specifically, a lot of people will say when I bring my dog with me somewhere, like it's almost like I'm distracted by my anxiety or it just if I can hug my dog or my cat, I just mm-hmm. feel a little bit better in the moment. And somehow that helps relieve a lot of my anxiety. Yeah. Well, there's a ton of studies that have shown that just simply petting a dog or petting a cat will lower your blood pressure, lower your heart rate. And what that does is that takes your anxiety and just kind of throws it out the window and just calms everything down because it distracts you and it displaces that anxiety towards something that's more positive. And it makes a big difference. It's legitimate. And I think having a pet gives people a reason to get out of bed every day, right? I've worked with plenty Mm -hmm. of people who were really struggling, but once they said, you know, I, I have to feed my pet, or I have to make sure that my pet gets outside or I have to take my pet to the park. And these are people that might neglect themselves, but if they knew they had a reason to get out of bed to take care of their pet, they would do it. Right. Now, I'm just, just to be the devil's advocate here, I'm also going to flip that over. And there are some people that have disabilities that can't handle an animal. So yes, I would agree probably 99.9% of the time having a pet is a real positive for somebody, but sometimes giving a person a pet, if they aren't physically able to handle it can make their anxieties worse. So just, I think it's important not to go automatically gifting animals on somebody because, oh, I think they'd really enjoy this, whatever, cockatoo. Okay. Um, I think talking to that person first and making sure that they're open to it, maybe involving a therapist or a family member that's, that's can help in, in, uh, kind of ameliorate the situation. Um, but definitely pets make a huge difference to a lot. Of, and that's why people bring pets like to, um, you know, assisted care, living homes and hospitals and things like that, because the pets really help the people get through it. But you just have to make sure that the pet is right for that particular person. Now, on that, on that note, um, maybe a dog, maybe a big Rottweiler isn't appropriate for a senior citizen, but they might like a canary or they might like a hermit crab or they might like a small fish that they can talk to. Because... Hey, I had pet fish and I talked to my fish every day, you know, and believe it or not, I know this is really being anthropomorphic, but they're happy to see right. me. I know they look at me. I'm the guy with food, but it doesn't matter when I walk in at the end of a long day and I had that darn Amy come in and give me a hard time today. It's like, I come home, I'm all stressed out. I walk in, the fish are all getting excited and vibrating in their tank and they're all happy to see me. I feed them and I watch them all eat and their colors are nice and bright. You know, again, I forget about all the badness and I think about the positives. Something as silly as just feeding the fish, what a difference that makes. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up the point too, that it doesn't, a pet doesn't always cure our mental health struggles. Because I've seen people that get a puppy and their anxiety shoots through the roof. Oh yeah, <laughs> that and they it's that not didn't anticipate how much work it was going to be, or they didn't know what to do, or how to take care of it, and so it can create more stress. So it's important to find a good match for us. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, and you bring up a really good point too. Yeah, maybe a puppy is not the appropriate dog for a senior citizen because there's a lot of energy and work involved in a puppy, but maybe that senior citizen do a couple other things. One is they might consider adopting a senior pet because that senior pet, all that pet wants is just somebody to hang out with and love, right. you know? Um, or maybe volunteering at the local shelter. You go down there one or two days a week and walk a couple dogs. You'd be surprised how mentally positive and stimulating that is for the dog and for you. Because like, oh, it's Thursday afternoon. I get to go to the, the shelter and walk the dogs. I love doing that, you know? But then they don't have to worry about taking it home and cleaning the yard and brushing the pet and vacuuming up the fur and everything else, but they still get that pet fix. And that's a good point because a lot of people who live in a place where they can't have a pet for one reason or another to still figure out how do you make sure that you still get time with animals in mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. And then how do we figure out like what's a good match for us? So sometimes when you can't have a pet, I guess you can usually have a fish. In college, I had a turtle because I could have a roommate as a turtle. That, <laughs> and that worked out just fine because we weren't allowed to have dogs or cats. But how do you figure out what's a good match for me? I think, well, obviously now with, with Dr. Google, you can go on the internet and look things up, but I do think it helps, uh, you know, a lot of therapists now are, are, uh, knowledgeable about pet therapy and, and pets, which is great. Um, I work with several therapists with people to counsel about pets that they have and, and whether pets may be passing away, like we talked about earlier, or what kind of pets they want to get, or maybe replacement pets. But having people that are experts can walk you through it. And I'll throw out a really cool example. Um, hermit crabs, you know, we live in the Keys, and I'm sure you see them in the parking lot all the time. Do you have any idea how long they live? No idea. 25 years, 30 years, if they're properly cared for. So, you know, that's, it seems silly, but you can have a lot of fun with a hermit crab. A, they don't make noise. They don't stink. They're really easy keepers. Um, they're fascinating little animals. I mean, they really are amazing. And because as they grow, they grow throughout life, you got to give them new shells, basically buy them new clothes like a child growing up through school. It's something that engages the owner and they go, okay, what shell will I get my pet and my hermit crab this week, you know? And so they have to go out and they have to buy different shells. And there are actually hermit crab clubs. There's, I mean, all sorts of cool things. And sometimes people that collect hermit crabs have hermit crab shows where they take their crab to the show and they're showing off the fancy shells they have. But it really engages that owner. But it's a very low maintenance, very low cost pet for anybody, especially a senior citizen living in a high density area like an assisted living facility where they may not have a lot of space for a dog or a big bird or even a rabbit. You can certainly put a, a 10 gallon tank on your, your desk, you know, or on the kitchen counter and keep a hermit crab. Oh, I love that idea. Cause you're right. And I'm glad you brought up cost. Cause obviously we know pets can be very expensive, but if you buy the right pet for you, it could be affordable. Right. One last question for you then is how do you, as a, as a vet, how do you stay mentally strong with everything that you go through? And, you know, one of the fascinating things I think about a veterinarian as compared to a doctor is you, your patient doesn't tell you what ails them. You have to figure it out. And your client is also the human that you have to work with, the pet owner. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you see lots of struggles and problems along the way with people who can't afford treatment or somebody's pet uh, is facing something terminal. How do you stay mentally strong over all these years of working that's, with animals? Yeah, I mean, well, that's a whole other show. Uh, you know, suicide rate is so high in the veterinary profession. Um you know, I like to, I like to try and come across as Superman, you know, you wear the game face and it's an interesting profession because I'll walk into one room and I'll have to euthanize a dog that's 15 years old with cancer. 
um, that the owner has put all sorts of emotional energy and financial support into it. And you, you can't save them all. We want to walk in water, but we can't, you know, sometimes we miss the rocks and fall in. And then you walk out of the room four steps later, client or the receptionist hands you a chart and it's a client with a new puppy. And now I've got to go in there and be a bullion and happy and excited about this new puppy and starting a new life. Whereas literally 45 seconds ago, I was ending a life. And so, yeah, that takes a huge emotional toll. And so I'd like to say it doesn't bother me, but of course it sure. does, you know, um, how I get through it. A couple things. Number one, I've, I've got an amazing life partner. My wife is also a veterinarian and, and we're strong. We support each other. Um, both emotionally and physically, we challenge each other. Like uh, next week we're climbing Mount Whitney um, and we push each other to be better and be stronger in physical health and mental health, as you know, is tied together. And then the other thing too is, is I surround myself with a good support structure. You know, I've got a lot of, I've got a, I don't have a lot of, I've got a lot of friends. I have a close network of friends that I consider support friends and we're there for each other. When we have a tough day, we call each other and talk to each other and it helps it makes a big difference, you know, and, and do I get upset? Do I lose sleep? Do I cry? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Um, and as I've gotten older, I've, I've learned that it's okay. Whereas before I would try and hide it. Now I realize, you know what, this is sad. I'm going to cry. Yeah. And you know what? It, it, it helps, you know? And then I think finally, probably the real apple in my eye are my pets. I've got two dogs, two cats, three tortoises, two snakes, a frog and a bird. And they're the sunrise and they're my sunrise and sunset, you know? Whatever kind of day I've had, they're always happy to see me. So I spend time That's with the them. That's the joy of having a pet, that they are happy yep. to see you no matter what. Dr. Doug Mater, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. And I hope that everybody in our audience goes and picks up a copy of The Vet at Noah's Ark. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Dr. Mater's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that Dr. Meter shared. Number one, notice the mental health benefits that you gain from animals. As Dr. Meter said, there are tons of studies that show being around animals can improve our health and our mental health in so many ways. Pets can curb loneliness, reduce stress, and increase our happiness. There are also studies that show things like when kids with ADHD read books to dogs, their social skills improve. Or when kids pet farm animals, their anxiety decreases. Pets can also reduce our symptoms of PTSD and depression. If you have a pet, just know that spending time with them is good for you. It's not a waste of time to play fetch with your dog or to just sit and pet your cat. And if you don't have a pet, listen to this. Studies show watching cute pet videos online can improve your mental health and boost your productivity. So you don't have to feel guilty about taking a quick break from your work to watch a funny cat video. It might actually help you get more work done. This is probably the only time in my life since I was like three that I haven't had a pet, but I have several dogs that I follow on Instagram. Some of my personal favorites happen to be Magnus the therapy dog and Fred the Afghan. And watching their videos definitely brightens my day. Number two, if you want a pet, Get one that's a good match for your lifestyle. Dr. Mater brought up great ideas about how to find a pet that fits into your life. If you work long hours or you live in an apartment, a puppy might not be a good idea, but you could get a hermit crab. But make sure you do your research first 
on the specific breed of dog that you're looking at or find out how long a bird is going to live. I've seen a fair amount of people get a pet that isn't a good fit, and it actually turns out to be bad for their mental health. If your lifestyle doesn't accommodate the kind of pet you want, you can still find ways to be around animals. Volunteer at the shelter or at your local bird sanctuary. Or visit a cat cafe. Or just spend time with loved ones who have a pet. It doesn't necessarily have to be your own animal in order for you to reap the benefits. And number three, give yourself time to grieve the loss of a pet. I'm glad that Dr. Mater talked about how tough it is to lose a pet. I wish it weren't something that we had to deal with, but our pets just don't live as long as we do. So it's important to give yourself time and space to grieve. Take time off from work. Get social support. Other pet owners will understand the heartache. And take care of yourself. And if you need to talk to someone, it's okay to get professional help for your grief too. Our pets are often more than just a dog or just a cat. Sometimes they symbolize a whole period in our lives. Like maybe you had a dog that stuck by your side when you got divorced. And sometimes they feel like the only creature who really understands us, even though we don't speak the same language. So those are three of Dr. Mater's strategies that I highly recommend. Notice the mental health benefits you gain from animals. Pick a pet that matches your lifestyle. And take time to grieve the loss of a pet. To hear more from Dr. Mater, pick up a copy of his book, The Vet at Noah's Ark. You can buy a copy wherever books are sold, and I'll link to it in the show notes. It's filled with some amazing stories that any animal lover will appreciate. And if you know someone who could benefit from hearing more about how animals can help us grow mentally stronger, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who made fast friends with my cat Jackson the moment that they met, Nick Valentine. <laughs>